Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. I'll be reading from the NIV translation. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We're going to wrap up our series uh, this morning called Not Perfect, Just Getting Better. And today we're going to talk about getting better at holiness. You ready? You ready to be holy? You know, I think about this, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is that the church is called to be a holy place, and it's made up of human beings. Have you noticed that? There's a holiness that we're called to, and there's a human humanity that we live in, and so we kind of become this community of where we're both holy and human at the same time. It's kind of like the incarnation, which is maybe a part of the reason that's the way God created it that way. But you know, when we look at the human side of the church, when we look at the human side of things in the world, and we look back, I know a lot of people have become disillusioned with the church as a community, as an organization. People have become disillusioned with organized religion, they would say. And a lot of things they point to that you know of and I know of are, are really the human time, the times where humanity took over the community, things like the Crusades, uh, people you would point to, or the Spanish Inquisition. Currently, we've, we, we're dealing with, a, the Catholic Church is dealing with a Catholic priest scandal. We know that in uh, churches around America and some of the megachurch pastors have had sexual misconduct We've seen abuses of power in churches here locally over the years, and we've seen how fundamentalist Christianity has syncretized itself with politics. And so everybody looks at those things and says, see, look at that, they're, they're, these, this isn't holy. And so they look at the human side, the humanity of the organization, of the community, and they claim that we're an unholy rabble. And I think about this, and there are times also we have to admit, not just as an organization, but if we look at our own lives, are we always holy? Are we always perfect? 
Do we make mistakes? We do. We're not perfect all the time. And so we have to admit that. And that's, I think, a holy thing to do is to admit when you're not perfect, to admit when you don't have it all together. I think that's a very holy thing to say. So sometimes I would say humility is holy. Now, all this has been made, but I, I came across this wonderful quote from Leo Tolstoy. I don't know if you're familiar with the Russian author, but he wasn't a very holy person, <laughs> if you know his background. He was a human, but he, claimed, he never claimed to be holier than he was. And I love this quote that came from him, which kind of is a good reminder for us. He says this, he says, attack me, I do this myself, but attack me rather than the path I follow in which I point out to anyone who asks me where I think it lies. If I know the way home and I'm walking along it drunkenly, it is it any less the right way because I am staggering from side to side? <laughs> I love that. And I think about the church at times when we and the organizers, we're on the right path, folks. You know, everything we've been talking about in this sermon series about love, forgiveness, and, and growing in these different ways and becoming better in these things, this is the right path. We're on the right path. And so there are times, though, we stumble. There are times we fall down. There are times when we stagger down this path. I would also say to you this, and this is where I think the scripture goes beyond what Tolstoy said, and, he, and the scripture said something along those lines, but this is what the scripture said. Look at verse 13 in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and, what, what's it, read, read that together, minds that are alert and fully sober, not staggering side to side, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So we may start off drunk and staggering, but we're not supposed to stay that way. As much as I love Tolstoy's quote that we're on the right path, and I think that's the good part of the quote, we as we walk are to become sober in our walks with the Lord. That's holiness. To move from the staggering side to side to the movement of being holy. Now, let's unpack that verse a little bit. In the original translation, it really says, gird up yourself for a journey. <laughs> so when, when the Israelites were in the Passover, when they were getting ready to sl flee slavery, uh, they, what they were supposed to do was they were to gird themselves up. They were supposed to get ready for a journey. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here in the text. He's saying, gird yourself up. So in the first century, remember, we didn't dress like this in the first century. Christians dressed differently. We had long robes and garments and then wore belts. And so to gird up would mean to hike up your robe and tuck it into your belt so that you could get moving so that you could get active. That's what's actually being said here. Be alert, get ready, get on the journey, get on the, into the process of becoming holy. And then it says fully sober. Here again, we see that word, Greek word teleos, which we've been talking about, which is translated sometimes perfect, but actually means mature or complete. What it means is to be fully sober, completely sober as you do this journey. So get ready to go on a journey Get ready to go, and when you do it, get sober doing it. So we have to move forward in that way. And so we enter into this process of becoming holy. That's what it's calling us to. It's calling us to this process, this journey, this, this action of becoming holy, becoming better. 
You know, in the Wesleyan theology, if you remember, we talked about this some time ago, but I want to remind us again of the three graces in Wesleyan theology. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. So what we're talking about today is, is not prevenient grace. If you remember, prevenient grace is God's grace that goes before us, ahead of us, and enables us to respond to God's justifying grace. God's justifying grace is the grace that puts us right with Jesus, puts us right with God through Jesus Christ. We are put back in the right relationship with God, and we are justified. That's called justifying grace. So it brings us back into relationship. This is where we, we may repent and return to God and turn our lives around, and it could happen in an instant, or it could happen and over time, but we have justif- we've become justified, forgiven of our sins, and we are now living in God's grace. And then the third grace is sanctifying grace. Sanctify is a big fan- fancy word for be made holy. It's the process by which you and I are made holy. To enter into God's sanctifying grace is to actually move into this process, into this journey. And so really what we're talking about today is not prevenient grace or justifying grace, but how do we get in and work with God's sanctifying grace and particularly God's Holy Spirit that molds us and shapes us and changes us and helps us to become the holy people of God. I think about this, and just as I mentioned earlier, there's the human side. And I've been thinking about what what is it that keeps us or has stopped us from this process? What, what has kept us from being sanctified? I know a lot of justified Christians. What's keeping us from the sanctification part? I thought about this as I pondered on a hike I took on Memorial Day weekend with my lovely bride. Beautiful day, beautiful mountains, beautiful bride are all together. We planned to go out on Memorial Day. And how many people, by the way, went hiking on Memorial Day? Anybody else go hiking on Memorial Day, right? Everybody goes hiking on Memorial Day in Seattle, so I said to myself, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not going to, we're not going to go to Mount Sai. We're not going to do Sai. We're not going to do Pilchuck or Mailbox. Everybody else is going to be there. We're not going to do Serene Lake. That's a, I don't know, people who do that are crazy. You know, everybody's out there. I said to my wife, I found a trail. I don't think anybody else will be there. It's an eight-mile loop. We have to go over Snoqualmie Pass, get off at Hayek, and take this mountain gravel road up the mountain. And there, we get out there, and we're in the middle of nowhere. We'll be on the PCT, said Twin Lakes. I thought this would be great. Waterfalls. So we go. We get out there. We park the car. There is nobody out there. We're the only ones on the trail. Now, I did read in the guide that it's best hiked July to October. I read that part, but, you know, being an Appalachian Trail guy, how bad could it be? You know, I mean, what's here in the mountains that I can't handle on in Memorial Day? I, I, I don't know any better, right? So my wife goes along with me on this journey. You should get her version of it, by the way. <laughs> so the first mile is pretty good. I mean, the first mile is easy. Uh, it's a pretty easy trail, and then you get back, and there are twin lakes. You see a picture of, of one of the first lakes you come to there on the trail, and it's kind of this nice, serene setting. And if you look across the valley, there's a waterfall coming down off the mountain. It's a beautiful sight. First mile, no problem. Then we begin our ascent. If you're looking at the lake there, to the left, we start our ascent up, and at the top of the mountain is the Pacific Crest Trail, and we're going to make our way up to the PCT. 
And so we go on that, and it becomes very steep, and there are bushes overgrowing the trail. The trail's not been maintained. We kept trying to find, having to find the trail and work through Devil's Club and other branches. And then we start to hit things called, this stuff called snow. And there's a snow field, but it's not too big, so we cross it. We get to another snow field. The terrain's getting steeper, but we can't see the trail anymore because there's so much snow. So we kept losing the trail. And then I kept probing ahead in the snow and falling down sometimes to my knee, sometimes to my hip, through the snowpack, falling through, then getting back up, scrambling up, finding ways around, looking for the path, venturing off this way, can't find it, come back, can't find it, come back. It took us almost two hours to go the next mile because of this losing the trail, falling through the snow. Finally, we got almost to the time. I'm pretty sure we were close. And we came to a, a snow field that was even steeper than the ones before. And, we, and so if we slip off of this snow field, we're going to just go down the mountain quite a ways. And I, th- I said, I think the trail's on the other side right there. I, I'm pretty sure. And my wife said, we've already been through this three or four times already today. She said, I think it's time we turn around. And so we did wisely turned around. And we went back, and, uh, and she, she said to me, she said, well, we tried. I said, no, we did not try. We failed. <laughs> we quit. We gave up. You know, I was a little, you know. And so we get back down. And as we're getting down to the lower part, we're back at Twin Lake and Twin Lakes. And there's this guy sitting by the lake with a ukulele just singing away. <laughs> and I thought to myself, who's smarter here, him or me? Maybe he's got the right idea, right? So anyway, we're, we're going back. We're going to do that trail this summer in July, I'm pretty sure. But why do I tell you this? Where, where am I going with all this? Because I think when it comes to this process of holiness, I think when it comes to taking this particular journey of holiness, it's hard. And there are a lot of us who make it to the lake, and we want to just sit down by the lake of God's grace and sing songs because it's nice there. It's easy there. You don't have to work being there, right? It's a beautiful day. We sit by the lake of God's grace. We sing Kumbaya, and we enjoy the moment. We enjoy God's grace, that God's justifying grace, and we love that as Christians. But that's not where God says to stay. God says, keep going. And so some people actually take the climb. Some people actually take on the journey. And I would say to you, there are times when Christians who start out on this journey of holiness, they lose their way. There are Christians who are trying to be holy, who are trying to do what God wants in their lives, but they lose their way. They lose the path that Tolstoy talked about of following Jesus. And that's where they find themselves falling. That's where they find themselves falling in some way or some form or some fashion, they make a mistake and they fall quite a ways because they've lost their way. I would also add here that they're trying to do it under their own power. How many of us try and become holy on our own without the help of the Holy Spirit? You notice that we call the Spirit the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is needed to make us holy 
to help us become holy. We need the Holy Spirit to work with us. So some lose the path. Some, say, some are still climbing and they're not there yet, but they're still on the journey. So we have to keep that in mind. But here's, we can't stay by the lake of grace. Peter goes on and it says this in 14 through 16. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're to take the journey of holiness. We are to enter into the journey of sanctification. We don't just sit by the lake of God's grace. As wonderful as that is, and as nice as it is on Memorial Day, but we're still to climb. Peter goes on and he actually says, here's the goal of sanctification. I want you to notice what is the goal of sanctification according to 1 Peter. He goes on, verse 22, towards the end, says, As you set yourselves apart, that means to become holy, to set yourself apart, by your obedience to the truth, so that you might have genuine affection for your fellow believers, love each other deeply and earnestly. So two things. One, it, holiness is about setting yourself apart. Saying, so when you enter into this process of climbing, of taking this journey, you're actually setting yourself apart. You're actually putting your life on another path that not everyone else is on. And there are times when you're on this path of holiness that other people won't understand because they're on a different path. They can't see, they can't understand because you're becoming holy, trying to become holy, and they can't see that. And that's why a lot of times people... Uh, you know, don't see the whole journey. They don't see how far you've gone, right? So a lot of times, if people could see you 20 years ago or the moment you became a Christian at Justifying Grace and could see you today, would they see a different person? Hopefully the answer for you is yes, right? Hopefully the answer for all of us is yes, and even though we're still not all the way there to the top, but we're in the process, right? But people can't always see that, and they can't always see and understand the path that we're on. And that's part of some of what we encounter. But the other part of this is also not just to set ourselves apart and obey the truth of God. But I want you to notice that ultimately the goal of sanctification is love. Did you hear that? It's love. Uh, a lot of times we, we think sanctification is, is something about, you know, being sinless, some sinless state or that we're in this perfect moral state of existence that it's, you know, but yet I would say that what Peter says and what others have said, it's become, it's to become this complete state of love for others and for God. You know, that's what happened in the Exodus. You remember, we mentioned Exodus, they were to gird themselves up for the journey. So they were leaving a, a state of slavery, a state of existence called slavery. And then God sent them into the wilderness, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, not simply to get to the promised land, but to be what? To do what? To become God's people. That was the process. They went from slavery to wilderness to God's people. God was helping them to become God's people as they obeyed and listened to God and followed God. It's the same with us in the sanctification process. We go from slavery to self, and I would say in a sense self-love, or slavery to ourselves and our self-centeredness. We enter into this process of sanctification so that we will become more loving of God and other people. So we become so full of the love of God and love for other people 
that we have no room for sin and other things in our lives. Because we're so full, complete of the love of God and love of other people that it fills our whole being and our whole lives. This is the goal of sanctification. I would also just say a couple more things about what sanctification is not or holiness is not. Holiness is not that we can't be limited in our knowledge or that we can't be ignorant about things. We can. We can, we can not know. It doesn't mean we know everything if we're holy, becoming holy. It also doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes, that we don't take our spouses on journeys in the wrong time of the year. That's still going to happen. It doesn't mean that we'll never face hardship or difficulty. As I've just explained in the hiking illustration, we will face difficulty and challenges. There will be times where we might lose the path and encounter obstacles. It also doesn't mean that we're never tempted again. We will be. Jesus was tempted and he was holy. So those are the things that those, those things sometimes get wrapped up into this idea of perfection or holiness or Christian perfection. And really it's about love and learning to love God and love others. That's actually the way John Wesley describes it. In his sermon on Christian perfection, he said this: This is the sum of Christian perfection. It is comprised in that one word, love. The first branch of it is the love of God. And as he that loves God loves his brother also, it is inseparably connected with the second, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love every man as thy own soul, as Christ loved us. That's holiness. If we're becoming holy, we're actually becoming more loving. We'll be filled with the love of God. You know, I think about, I talked about the human side what about the holy side of the church? You know, the church has done a lot of amazing things over the years. I think about how it gets missed, it gets glossed over how much the church has done, how much Christianity has done for the world. And even as I watch Hollywood today, I have yet to see a good Christian example or a good example of a pastor or a Christian leader in anything that has been put out by Hollywood. Tell, if you have that person in mind, let me know. I cannot think of any place in Hollywood, in any motion picture, in any TV series, in any Netflix film, in any Hulu thing, in anything where there's been portrayed a Christian or a pastor or a leader that has been lovingly holy. I don't see it. Because there's a different path. We're on a different path. But I think that we have been loving. Think about how many people are running to raise funds for children for clean water, World Vision, next week. How many? I think we, how, Courtney, how many people do we have running next week? Sorry, I call on you out in the middle of service. <laughs> well, knee surgery, whatever, yeah. So 20-some people are running, and we're raising, we've raised over $20,000 that's pretty holy, right? Holy. It's loving because it's loving other people. How many uh, nonprofits have been created because of people of faith in the world? Think about that. How many? I, I don't think we could count. 
because, and that's holy, to love others, to have compassion for others, to start nonprofits for others. How many hospitals have been created because of Christian people in the world? How many schools have educated both young men and young women around the world because they've been started by Christians? I mean, they're countless, right? So as the media kind of picks apart all these extraordinary incidents and says, see, don't trust organized religion, don't trust the Christians, don't trust those people of faith, they ignore all the good, all the love, all the compassion that has been done because of holy people. How many missionaries do we have in our church? I like to ask our missionary, if you've served in the mission field, would you please stand? I know that's why I was glad you guys were here this morning. How many other people have served in the mission field? No? no, Yeah, hold your, yeah, give them applause. Right, Terry, you're in the mission field. Stay standing, stay standing. This is, uh, you're going to help me with the sermon this morning. You do this for me, not for you, right? How many of you are a family member of a missionary? Like you grew up in a mission family or you're a part of a missionary family where you live with missionaries. Come on, come on, yeah, I know. All right, those are, those are mission folks. How many of you have served even short, on a short-term mission trip here at our church or in some fashion in your Christian journey? How many people, stand up if you've served on a short-term mission trip? How many of you have served at a local nonprofit here in the area, served in some way, offered, that would be foster care, that would be set free ministry, that would be anything of that nature, any local mission that we do. That's holy, people. That's holy. Look at this church. This is a holy church. Not because we're perfect, not because we don't make mistakes. We're holy because we love. We love other people. We want to make a difference in the world. And so if anybody ever says to you, I'm done with the faith, you remember this. And you remember how God's been working through us for a long time. And how God has been making us holy for a long time. And using us because we love people and we love God. Amen? Let's give ourselves a hand. Give everybody a hand. That's amazing, isn't it? To see that. To see how God's working in our church. The love of God. Do you want to hear a story? Yeah, all right, thanks for saying that. (laughs) I was hoping you'd say that. There were two brothers, and they were farmers, and uh, they grew up together, obviously, then their parents passed away, they, they inherited the farm, but they decided as brothers, they would work the farm together, and they would split everything on the farm equitably, each brother would get 50-50. One brother had a, had a wife and several children, and the other brother was single, And so, but they still said, no matter what our life circumstances are, we're just going to split everything 50-50 on the farm. And so one evening after the harvest had come in and the granaries were full, 
the brother who was single said to himself, my brother has so many mouths to feed and his family to take care of. I got an idea. I'm going to, every night, I'm going to take a bag of grain out of my granary and I'm going to walk across the field and I'm going to put it into his granary at night and he won't ever know about it. And I'll just do that every night, just take a bag over. So he began to do this. He began to, every night, take a bag of grain over to his brother's granary and just pop it in there and then he would sneak back to his house. Now, the other brother who had the family thought to himself, you know, my brother has no one to take care of him in his old age. How is he ever going to retire? How's ever, who's going to take care of him? So he decides, I'm going to take a bag of grain, and I'm going to go across the field, and I'm going to put it in his granary, and that way he'll be taken care of in the future. So each night at different times, they would sneak across the field with their bags of grain, and they'd wake up in the morning, and they wonder, you know, I keep taking grain over there, but I'm not, doesn't seem like I'm running out here. What's going on? And so one night, of course, this, you, this couldn't go on forever. And sure enough, they both decided to cross the field at the same time with their bags of grain, and they ran into each other in the middle of the field in the middle of the night with their bags of grain, and that, that moment, it dawned on them what was happening. And they dropped their bags of grain and they, loved, they, they embraced each other because they realized how much they loved each other as brothers. It said, said that God at that moment looked down from heaven and said this. That God looked at the brothers in the field and said, I'm waiting for it on the screen The quote on the screen, there it is. So God looked down from heaven and said, I declare this to be what? A holy place, for I have witnessed extraordinary love here. This is a holy place because there's extraordinary love here. Anywhere you see extraordinary love, that's holy. Let's pray together.